When I first started out in ministry, I, I know this is hard to understand, uh, hard to even believe, but I had no idea how important words were. I did not know how much impact my words could have. In fact, uh, I think I just had a low view of preaching. I thought, well, most people are just kind of, you know, sit through it or sleep through it or whatever and don't really listen. And uh, that, of course, is just not true. So I would say things that just come to my mind. I would say things sometimes to shock people. Sometimes I'd say things in the guise of openness and transparency. But sometimes openness and transparency can hurt and destroy. And according to the Bible, it's the fool who says whatever comes to his mind. And I have been a fool. I remember one of the elders finally saying to me, Mark, what you say up there does make a difference. And you need to know that. And that could be said for every one of us. Our words make a big, big difference. Have you ever wondered why God sent this? Why did uh, he have us have this Bible? There are so many words in here. Why aren't there more pictures, you know? Why didn't God reveal himself in a picture book instead of a, a word book like this? Why didn't Jesus wait to come into the world so his message could be put on YouTube and then we could all watch? because we're such a visual society. Or maybe he could come and put his message in a movie because we're this visual society. But no, he chose words, uh, the word, to reveal his will. And Jesus, in fact, is called the word that Casey read at the top of the service today. If you sat with a child or a grandchild with just a picture book and there's no words in it, just images, you will find that you cannot help yourself. You'll find yourself pointing out things and explaining with your mouth, with words, because images need interpreting. And the world that God created needed his word to help us interpret it and to understand it. So the primary sense organ for the Christian is the ear. Not the eye, but the ear. When God spoke to Israel, he said, Hear, O Israel. When Jesus spoke to the seven churches in Revelation, let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And throughout his ministry, Jesus talked about hearing the word. I was visiting Gladys Moore uh, last week, one of our shut-ins, and she was telling about an acquaintance of hers that is both blind and deaf. And she's, Gladys said that acquaintance said that it is much worse to be deaf than to be blind. And many would agree that the worst handicap is not blindness, although I think most of us would think that, but there is nothing worse than losing your hearing for the sake of relationship and communication. Today is our final message out of the book of Ecclesiastes, and all the people said, amen, hallelujah. This has been one of the more challenging books for me, and I know for Casey too, and I apologize to Casey for having this be the first major series that he has to preach out of with me, because this is not an easy book. But it is so insightful and so needed today to give us perspective on how to live wisely. The series has been entitled, Living Life Backwards. To live with perspective, we have to begin with the end in mind, and then live accordingly. And today's text are the final six verses of this book in chapter 12, and verse 13 says, here is the conclusion of the matter. After all these statements about meaninglessness, about reflecting on the fact that we will all die, and the implications of that, and, and giving us different insights into living, and giving us wisdom in a variety of areas, here now is the conclusion of the matter. Some have said that we should read Ecclesiastes backwards and start with a conclusion. God has led us to this last word of this book, and it's really the first word of life. Here it is, chapter 12, verse 9. Not only was the teacher, speaking of himself, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. 
He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Our, our students know that. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Here it is. All of it's, this book's been building up to this. Here it is. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. A lot of words have been written, many books, many words, but here is the conclusion of the matter, six words. This puts it all in, this is the summary. Fear God and keep His commandments. That's life. That's it. The beginning of wisdom is here in the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. Fear God, honor God, worship Him, and keep His commandments. The teacher's goal in this book he says, was to impart knowledge. He said he pondered and searched to find just the right words. Down verse 12, he says, of making many books, there is no end. In other words, he said, there's a lot of words in this world. A lot has been written. A lot has been said. And he sought to find just the right words for his book in Ecclesiastes. By the way, how many books have been written? Any idea? It is really hard to figure, so I did some Googling. Uh, it's hard to figure because there's so many self-published books these days. But the latest number I found is that about 750,000 new books are published each year. Three quarter of a million per year. The total in the history of humanity, and I don't know how they come up with this number, is this number. Next slide, please. That. 134 million plus books. Now, if a book averages 200 pages, which probably they average more, that's 600,000 words per book, 600,000 words times 134 million books. That's a lot of words, and that doesn't even count all the other words that are written and printed in, in, other, uh, in, in other ways. Ecclesiastes 10.14 says, fools multiply words. Does that mean we live in a foolish world? I mean, we've multiplied words. The last time I preached, one of the key phrases in Ecclesiastes 5 was, let your words be few. So the writer of Ecclesiastes takes his own advice and the book of Ecclesiastes is relatively short, only 12 chapters. There's really not a ton of words here because he knows words are powerful and words do things. So he says, I was very careful in my selection of words. Not bad advice, is it? Be careful in your selection of words. There's a story that the teeth and the tongue were having an argument. And the teeth told the tongue, if I just press a little, you'll get cut. And the tongue replied, if I misuse a single word, all 32 of you will come out. These verses explain how and why this teacher, this old man, did what he did with words and he explains what their intended effect is on us. Here's what Ecclesiastes, this is what he wants us to do. He studied people, he studied life and situations, and then he wrote down what he observed. Verse 10, the teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words upright and true could be translated words of delight, choice words, the right words that will help us live a wiser and better life. So Ecclesiastes' words are intended to bring, number one, pleasure. And it is really sad that so many people think that Ecclesiastes is kind of a gloomy book, it's kind of negative, and certainly does have its dark moments, but it's about real life. And here it says, I wanted to find just the right words, what was upright and true, a delight, because God is not a killjoy. 
He's not this grumpy old man that some think he is. He wants us to live life, and if you get the right words and the truth in you, life can be beautiful and good. Psalm 19, 7 through 10 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Now, doesn't that sound good and inviting? It's pure, it's, it's good, it's like, honey, it's sweet. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, every verse is about, the word, about God's word and how the word is a delight. Now, we all know some people who don't believe in the word of God. They mock the word of God. Some blatantly refuse its direction. They say, well, it's out of date, it's antiquated and irrelevant. It's not in touch with today's society. And what is so true is those same people are often making a mess of their lives. Following the word of this world is a false word and will ruin lives and ruin relationships and ruin societies. God's words are words of delight and how to live. They'll bring joy. And I have found in my personal life, when I am in the word of God, my life is richer and my life is deeper and better. There's a song we sing this service, Awake My Soul. In fact, it's going to be the last song we sing this morning. And it has this section in it, speak to me, word of God, speak to me. Speak to me, word of God, speak to me. I come alive. I'm alive when you speak to me. I'm alive. I come alive. I'm alive when you speak to me. And I have found that to be true. His word is alive. It breathes direction and and life into me. There's another song we used to learn about the Bible when we were kids. You remember the B-I? Yeah, well, let's sing it. You know it. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book. I stand alone. The B I. You sound so good. That's very good. So, yeah, amen. So, read the word. Read the familiar. Psalm 23, we hear it a million times at funerals, you know, but read it slowly and take it in. Contemplate it. Isaiah 40, Revelation 21 and 22, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Just get that word, read it, put it into you, read some of the Psalms, and I want to suggest also get into an ABF, get into a a Sunday school class so you can get into the word and bring you closer to God and closer to life. It will bring pleasure. But there's another value in the words of the teacher in Ecclesiastes, verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads. They're selected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Now to goad someone is to provoke them to annoy them, to stimulate some action or some reaction uh, to them. Two women were talking, and one was the preacher's wife. Now, this did not happen here. just want to make that clear. The other woman was insulting the preacher to the preacher's wife. She didn't know she was talking to the preacher's wife. And she was saying all kinds of these things about how this preacher's a jerk, and he's not any good about preaching, and you know, you just can't stand this guy, and he's really annoying. And finally, and the preacher was overhearing this. And so he could hear it, and he knew his wife was uh, listening to this, and he said, oh, boy, we're going to have a cat fight today. Couldn't wait. And uh, so the woman's going on and, you know, you know, bashing the preacher, and finally the wife said, uh, you, you need to stop because he's my husband. And you have no idea how annoying he can be. <laughs> that's a goad, okay? That's Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is kind of an annoying book. It's a goad book, and, and some of the synonyms for goad are to provoke, 
to sting, to prod, to egg on, to hound, to badger, or incite. It comes from the idea of urging an animal, goading an animal, and the goad hurt. But it kept the animal on the straight path. If it got off course, there would be some pain. And the only way the animal could avoid pain was to go the way the shepherd wanted him to go. So the words of Ecclesiastes bring pleasure, but they also bring pain. The words of Ecclesiastes are like goads. They wound and they hurt, but they are from the one shepherd, from God. If you want to walk with God, then you will need some pain. Some animals are more stubborn than others, kind of like humans, right? Some have to be goaded several times, even though, and even then they may not get it. But this book is a goading book. It uses some tough words. Ecclesiastes is very blunt. You are going to die. And you are not going to take anything with you. And all this striving to get ahead that you're doing is just meaningless. Finding meaning in this life under the sun is foolish. In some ways, he says, it's better not to be born than to live in this world. At one point, he said, I hated life. Not pleasant words. When I was a kid, I was listening to an interview by a young lady. And I think she was dying. I, I don't remember the whole context, but she must have been dying. And I think she was like in her late teens or in her early 20s. And she said about her upbringing, My family taught me how to live, but they didn't teach me how to die. And that has always stuck with me. I heard that 40 years ago. And I think a lot of parents are teaching their kids how to live but they don't want to cause any pain in their children, so we don't talk about the tough things. Death is coming for all of us. We've heard the phrase helicopter parents. That's been around for a while, you know, hovering around. Well, now the, the latest one I heard is lawnmower parents. Have you heard that one? Okay. Lawnmower parents go to whatever lengths necessary to prevent their child from having to face adversity or struggle or failure. So instead of preparing their children for challenges, they mow down all the obstacles so kids won't have to experience any struggles in the first place. Remove the pain. And I thought, well, that's not just parenting. That's our whole culture. Remove the pain. We're a lawnmower culture. But God is not a lawnmower God. And Ecclesiastes is not a lawnmowing book. It will goad you. And it will pain you. And that goading is good for you from a loving shepherd. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now that sounds painful to me. The, the word of God is like a sword. It penetrates, it cuts, it judges. The word of God, yep, it tells me I'm insecure. tells me I'm prideful, I'm disoriented. tells me I have a lot of sin in my life. And it tells me the world is nasty. And then they say, but at the beginning it says the word of God is alive. And I thought, no, it's not. At least not to a lot of people. Sometimes the word of God is boring and dry and doesn't really penetrate. And I think part of it is because we've not allowed it to goad us. So here's my advice today. One way to make the Bible alive, obey the parts that are hard. Let it goad you. Don't domesticate it. Act upon it when it tells you to do something that you don't want to do. Obey it when it offends you. Do not reinterpret to say what you already believe and do. For instance, very simple one, but very, very difficult. Love your enemies. Try doing that. Try obeying that one. Someone who doesn't like you or maybe someone you don't like or someone you just can't get along with, try loving them. How are you going to do that? That'll make it alive. Or try patience with certain people. 
or patience in the face of adversity, or kindness, giving to the poor. How about tithing? Have you ever really obeyed the word and let it go? It'll become more real because it will provoke you. It will annoy you. We need the Bible to prod us and to give us some pain. That's part of what makes it alive. We need sermons that will provoke you, you know? Uh, sermons should make you somewhat uncomfortable. And then it mentions firmly embedded nails. We're not sure what that is. It could be a nail in the gold. would make it really painful. Or it could be reference to nails that are hard to remove, firmly embedded, they're solid, like the sure character of the word. Verse 12, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. There's a lot of words out there, there's a lot of books out there, and he says it wears you out. 134 million books times 60,000 words, you know, whatever that number comes to. And of all those words that are out there, there's all the words that are around you, which ones are you going to listen to? Because you can only hear a few. What words will guide you? What are the wise words? Verse 13, then now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Here's the end result. Here's the, here's the climax. Fear God and keep his commandments. That is the duty of all mankind. That is it. In a nutshell. In life, in your work, in relationships, with your friends, your sex life, eating, school, fear God and keep his commandments. Why do you need to be a certain kind of employee? Because you fear God and you keep his commandments. Why are you going to be a certain child or a certain parent or a certain husband or wife? Because you fear God and you keep his commandments. Everything we do should be through this filter of fearing, not just fearing, but honoring and loving God and keeping his commandments. If you're a coach, you coach the kids a certain way because you fear God and keep his commandments. So the word gives us pleasure. The word sometimes gives us pain. And third, it gives us perspective. You do things out of fear of God and keeping his commandments. You have a higher motivation than personal, uh, selfish motivations. Have you ever wondered why I'm so nice to you? Really? I, I really am pretty nice to most of you anyway. Have you ever wondered, what's the motivation? Why is he coming around being so friendly? Does he want something? It could be. Maybe I want to manipulate you. Maybe I want something from you. Maybe it makes me feel good. Why well, I'm so nice to you. Maybe I want a relationship with you. There are many possible reasons for me to be nice to you. But the highest one is, I fear God and want to keep his commandments. I want to do what God wants me to do. Maybe if we were to do everything in that perspective, God first and foremost, it would change how we relate to one another. It might make us more bold in what we say to one another because we're more concerned about God's truth than we are about another person's approval. It might make us more kind because we realize God has commanded it and I fear Him. It might make us more joyful, maybe less grumpy, maybe more generous, just more alive. His Word will give you perspective. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. And then the last verse of Ecclesiastes. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. See, one of the tough things about Ecclesiastes, he acknowledges there is good. There's a lot of good in this world. But he said there's a lot of evil too, a lot of it. There's so much misery in this life. 
like in chapter 4. He said, again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed. They have no comfort. The power was on the side of the oppressors, and they have no comfort. There's just a lot of injustice. We could write our own book here. I saw the shootings in the world at the synagogue this past week. I saw the violence. I see the riots. I see the immorality. I see the politics. Are any of you tired of political ads? Betsy Lonegren and Davis. And makes you love them both, doesn't it? You know. No. It's just, and the teacher says, it'd be better never to be born to, than to live in a world like that. And what do you say to people who have personally experienced the ugly side of life? Uh, again, one of the hard things about this book, there are no immediate answers. What can be said to a mother who's lost a son? Or to someone who's living with a major disability? Or someone fighting depression? Or cancer? Or going through an ugly breakup? The only thing is, God will have the last word, and God will put it right, and we should be prepared. The words of Ecclesiastes are words for preparation. Judgment is coming. We need to prepare. I have a recurring dream. It's a recurring nightmare. I've had it ever since I was a kid, and the circumstances have changed as I've grown older. When I was a student and when I was in seminary and, uh, or in college, I would have this dream of going to bed the night before and just realizing, oh, I got a 20-page paper due tomorrow. Forgot all about it. And literally, I'd be dreaming this, and I would wake up sweating, shaking, I mean, just really, really upset because it seemed so real. Um, then when I started preaching, I would have these dreams of getting up here on Sunday morning, and I'm not ready. And I can't do anything without preparation. It's just how I am. Deep down, I guess that's one of my biggest fears, not being prepared. And maybe go back to my parents. You know, you can always blame your parents for anything that's wrong with you. And uh, my parents always talked about life beyond the grave. I mean, they talked about judgment. They talked about salvation. They talked about that. This life is not all there is. And they talked about me being prepared. And that's another dream I would have, not being ready for the judgment. And then I thought of that girl. My family taught me how to live. But they didn't teach me how to die. Ecclesiastes teaches both how to live and die. Be prepared. Live by his word. Fear God. Keep his commandments. And everything will be judged, good or evil. It's good news for some. For some, it's not going to be good news. Death and judgment are coming. Be ready. Jesus spoke this over and over. He said, you be ready. And again, Ecclesiastes wants, I think he wants to wake us up. He wants to grab us on the shoulder and say, you know, get up. Get, wake up, you know. For the believer, judgment is not something to fear because we know the terrors of this world are going to be done away in the glory of a new world. Ecclesiastes says over and over, one of the main themes is there is no gain under the sun. After all this striving and all this toiling, there is no gain. It's all going to be nullified by death. But then in the New Testament, you go over there, there is one thing that is a gain. You know what it is? Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and... To die is gain. In Christ, living and dying is a win-win. We can labor for Christ now. We can fellowship with him now, with his people now, while we live, while we live. And then when we die, we're going to live with Christ forever. We're going to fellowship with his people. It's just going to get better. Live life backwards. Live life knowing that judgment is coming, death is coming. And ask yourself, will that death be gain for me, for my family? And only through Jesus Christ will it be gained. That's the preparation. Fear God, keep his commandments, love Jesus.
Ecclesiastes chose just the right words to bring pleasure, to bring pain, perspective, and preparation. Chuck Colson was involved in the Watergate scandal back in the Nixon administration, and he went to prison for his role in that, and Colson became a major voice for Christianity after his prison experience. I, I read a few of his books, and a magazine article came about him, about this conversion he had, and the title of the article was Prison Radicalized the Life of Chuck Colson. And Colson reacted to that article. He said, that simply is not true. I could have left prison and forgotten it. Here's what Colson writes. What radicalized me was not prison, but taking to heart the truths revealed in Scripture. It was the Bible that confronted me with a new awareness of my sin and need for repentance. It was the Bible that caused me to hunger for righteousness and seek holiness. It was the Bible that called me into fellowship with the suffering. It is the Bible that continues <clears throat> to challenge my life today. It is irresistibly convicting. It is the power of God's word, and it is life-changing. And today, I want to beg you, please understand the power of God's word. Yes, sometimes it's hard to understand. I get that. Parts of it are pretty hard. Parts of it are pretty clear, you know, like Ecclesiastes. But read it, contemplate it, obey it, study it in a group. Our ABFs are just wonderful. The teachers are solid. The discussions are good. You can learn the word together. Get your children into Sunday school and learn its delights. Let it goad you. Let it give you perspective and let it prepare you as you walk with Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this hard book and for the insight and wisdom found in Ecclesiastes. Thank you for your word, the wisdom and the challenge and the joy and the pleasure of what your word brings to our lives. But most of all, we thank you for the Word, who is Jesus, the Word become flesh, who reveals fully your way and your will for us. May we be a church of your Word, a church that lives in and through and for Christ, a church that shares the life-giving Word with the world around us. And we pray this all in the name of the living Word, our Savior. Amen.